Hello and welcome to the Poetry Exchange. I'm Fiona Bennett and I'd like to thank you for joining us for this first episode of our new podcast. The Poetry Exchange is exploring the idea of poems as friends. We've been inviting people to come and talk to us about a poem that's been a friend to them. In exchange, we create a gift for them, a reading of the poem inspired by the conversation we've had with them. And we send that gift back to them usually about a week later. We've been enjoying talking to people so much and having these conversations and hearing people's thoughts and feelings about the poem that's been a friend to them that we wanted to share them with more people. And with the kind permission of the visitors featured in our series of podcasts, we're able to do that. And that's really the point of what this series is all about. So you'll hear the visitor to the exchange reading the poem they've brought along with them, an edited version of the conversation we had with them, and at the end, you'll hear the gift reading that we created for them. This week's episode was recorded at Durham Book Festival on October the 10th in St Chad's College in the chapel there. And you'll be hearing about The Second Coming by W.B. Yeats, the poem that's been a friend to Dominic. Dom, would you just sort of kick us off? Would you mind um, reading it out loud for us? Mm -hmm. Second Coming uh, by W.B. Yeats. Turning and turning in the widening gyre, the falcon cannot hear the falconer. Things fall apart, the centre cannot hoard. Mere anarchy is loosed upon the world, the blood-dimmed tide is loosed, and everywhere the ceremony of innocence is drowned. The best lack all conviction, while the worst are full of passionate intensity. Surely some revelation is at hand. Surely the second coming is at hand. The second coming? Hardly are those words out when a vast image of Spiritus Mundi troubles my sight. Somewhere in the sands of the desert, a shape with lion body and head of a man, a gaze as blank and pitiless as the sun is moving its slow thighs while all about it real shadows of the indignant desert birds. The darkness drops again, but now I know that twenty centuries of stony sleep were vexed to nightmare by a rocking cradle, and what rough beast its hour come round at last slouches towards Bethlehem to be born. Thank you. I know it's odd as a friend poem, but um, it's probably the poem that's most stuck with me since I read it. Um, I could probably recite it without the piece of paper and I haven't ever tried to learn it. Uh, Like, it's just one of those things that kind of stuck in my head, I guess, and I kind of, I don't know, I find it weirdly comforting, even though it's got this huge negative vision. also, I don't know, it kind of, it's got this kind of cinematic feel to it, in a way that you kind of can almost see the, this kind of shadowy beast figure, and um, yeah. <laughs> I kind of loved what you said about it's a kind of a strange one to choose as a friend, but, you know, in some ways it, 
it's, it is offering you something, even with that kind of darkness and negativity. And mm. uh, so I'm glad you've, <laughs> you've, you've plumped for this one, because yeah. um, I think that's really interesting. Yeah. You know, what do we look for in friends, actually? Yeah, I kind of, I don't know, it's just stuck with me. I kind of, I guess, a good friend way. It's always there when, uh, you know, um, it's difficult for it to be entirely, you know, it's got this negative vision, but it's such a beautiful poem that it can't really seem to support that, which I guess is kind of why I go back to it. And particularly when I'm writing poetry, this is kind of, I guess, in quite a, you know, always up there as a kind of inspiration for the type of stuff that I would love to be able to write. And what is it that you particularly enjoy about about the language or the way he's... Um, it's almost... It's, I think it's really difficult for um, a lot of poets to get across kind of the voice that they want their speaker to have, mm. if that makes sense. Particularly, I mean, this isn't a hugely long poem, but a lot of the stuff that I've read that I think does that well is very short. It's like, you know, eight lines or something. And as this is reasonably long, it kind of sustains this kind of almost monologic kind of tone. And the kind of that second coming, this repetition of the second coming with the exclamation mark, it's almost as if, you know, you can see the thought process there. You know, surely the second coming is at hand and it's almost like he's exclaiming the second coming to himself. Also, I think quite a lot of modernist poetry can get kind of bogged down in the learning and the kind of, you know, all of the symbolism where I think actually this is one of the few poems where it works well you've got all of the biblical imagery and stuff but it doesn't it's not just an exercise in <laughs> intellectual flattery it's, it's been put together in a real way but also I really love poetry that kind of takes something um, kind of a, a standard feature of poetry and kind of does something interesting with it so uh, there's kind of this is all in loose iambic pentarata roughly um, but it's kind of chopped up in the, which particularly it kind of loses it more in the second stanza but I love that effect it's kind of I guess it kind of just does underline the kind of unraveling of everything which I don't know really makes me happy as a formal device it's something that I feel like even very successful poets really struggle to use meter to get across what they're doing Are there any particular phrases that you you know not necessarily in a kind of appreciating the craft of it way but perhaps more in that way of you saying that it kind of it sounds to me like it's a kind of a poem that kind of went into you Yeah. kind of without you knowing it you know, you're saying like you could probably recite it, yeah. even though you've never actually sat down to try and learn it. Mm -hmm. Are there any kind of anchors yeah. in there that you? I mean, the whole first kind of stanza, I guess, but you know, particularly the 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 opening, turning and turning in the widening guy, the falcon cannot hear, the falcon, things fall apart, the center cannot hold. It's kind of, I don't know, it really conveys this experience of kind of losing grasp on reality, I guess. When I think about the center cannot hold, I kind of think about kind of almost, you know, this spinning thing is happening and um, you're kind of trying to hold on to it as it's kind of coming out of your grasp, which mm. kind of really sticks to me as the, that can be the feeling that you get when you're feeling overwhelmed or, um, you know, 
finding things difficult. That's the kind of thing that kind of the feeling that overtakes you, I guess. So that's kind of something that stuck with me. The best lack all conviction, while the worst are full of passionate intensity, I think is such a lovely phrase. I mean, it's cropped up in all over the place. I remember my English teacher saying that it got um, thrown about after 9-11 quite a lot. And I think that's kind of... It is one of those phrases that seems to describe the kind of everything that could go wrong. You know, you can apply that to all kinds of things. Um, you know, stuff that's going on uh, in the world now, it seems equally applicable to. So that's a kind of phrase that... I guess it just kind of sums up in a very, very beautiful, eloquent and precise and short. What's the word for short? Concise? <laughs> uh, concise way, yes. Um, you know, all of these problems that just come down to people's, you know, passionate intensity or lack of conviction. And then, but the, this, this whole thing about... Um, the shape with the lion body ahead of a man who gaze blank and pitiless as the sun it's moving its slow thighs while all about it real shadows of the indignant desert birds it's such a beautiful image it's kind of this figure in the desert looking about with this kind of blank and kind of almost death-like gaze <laughs> it really kind of jumps out as a kind of I guess it's again just another kind of metaphor of things going badly but a very beautiful one moving its slow thighs is how do you even come up with a phrase like that like mm. slow thighs doesn't necessarily mean anything but you it still gives you this really intense figure and description that is not immediately obvious I'm still not sure myself that I really understand where he's ending um what do you mean? Well, he's saying, I still don't really understand the 20 centuries of stony sleep vexed to nightmare by a rocking cradle. I, I, think, I think he's just kind of trying to say that, actually, you know, we, the last two 20 centuries, two millennium, have been, you know, in broad terms, the Christian millennium. And, but, the, you know, you could easily construe them as a nightmare, which I guess is what he's saying. And what he's saying is now I know, you know, now that he knows this, he's a little bit terrified of the second coming of Jesus Christ because what is that going to usher? Right, right, um, right. If all we got from the first one was what we've had, yeah. then what next? Yeah. Got it. Um, God, that's... <laughs> seems suddenly very extraordinary to be considering this poem in this location. I think... Yeah, a kind of second way to read this poem is really about the kind of personal struggles around faith and belief. Mm. And, uh, and I guess the kind of that is something else that I find really appealing because it is, you know, whether you're um, religious or not, you know, the kind of struggles with what you think about the world or what kind of system you have to live by is something that, you know, is a kind of, um, I guess, a universal struggle. And if you know the history of Yeats, you know, when this is written, you know, actually that's... This is kind of about him losing his beliefs and kind of mm. trying to come up with something else. Can I ask in what ways that speaks to you? I was very Christian for a while. I 
went away when I was 12 and read the Bible and uh, stuff and then kind of, you know, stopped. But that's never really appealed to me in terms of... This hasn't really appealed to me in the kind of Christian, atheist, agnostic dynamic. It's kind of, I guess, what really... um, This really appeals to me is... what it feels like it's about in terms of faith and things is whether you can have a faith that's optimistic given all of the kind of empirical data and something that I uh, I guess maybe struggled with is kind of how can you have a real uh, kind of faith in well not, I mean some people would get annoyed at me for using the word faith in this context but um, a belief in kind of you know rationalist progress when actually we don't know what rough beast is coming, be it the second coming or be it um, anything else that might come and, uh, around the corner. I, I actually think this is made much more poignant, I guess, by you know knowing that actually after this, it's not just the First World War, but the Second World War, which Yeats dies just before mm. everything kicks off. I mean, I think it does have a resonance with me in terms of all of the kind of feelings that you that are in this poem you can feel today. And I think, um, you know, particularly um, in terms of everything falling apart, <laughs> things can feel like that quite often. Um, you know, nobody really knows what's going to happen in the next few years in terms of politics and things. You know, there's so much that this kind of does describe this kind of feeling of not knowing what's going on and actually things are terrible are they going to get any better I, you know the stuff kind of that I personally you know think about that this could really kind of speak to you stuff like uh, huge companies and governments are kind of mining the uh, environment uh, in a really unsustainable way you know that's something where things really are falling apart and we don't um, know what's going to happen I mean, yeah, part of this poem's appeal and something I really go back to as well is because uh, I have, like, a really kind of odd, uh, I guess, uh, fascination slash identification with Yeats. I think he's such a interesting character. Yeah, I'm fascinated by his life and find him so intriguing and, you know, he was absolutely bonkers. <laughs> My favourite story to do with Yeats is when he... Um, him and his friend found this uh, box and they thought they were communicating with the dead. Um, it got confiscated because it was the middle of the First World War and it was actually a German radio. <laughs> um, but, yeah, and he's just... And, yeah, I just find this whole thing fascinating. And then another one of my favourite poets, Sylvia Plath, had similar fascinations with you. So I hope that doesn't say anything about my eventual trajectory in life you know she went and rented Yeats's apartment in London and stuff like that so I kind of have this poetic uh, I don't know yeah identification slash admiration you might really say that in your case the poet as much as the poem is a friend to you yeah I mean there was a lot I was trying to think about what I, what to bring and I um I couldn't really not bring a Yeats poem because he's been such a big thing. You know, it's kind of... There's a few copies of poetry that I 
tick with me pretty much everywhere. Yates, Elliot and Plath are pretty much never leave behind. Um, yeah, and it's like a friend. It's just something like he's a person and this poem particularly is something that I just keep going back to to, I guess, make sense of everything in a way that is always new but always the same, <laughs> paradoxically. Like, I'm finding myself now reading this differently to how I've read it before, and I think that's something about a good poem or piece of art generally is when it allows you to go back to it and see things that you haven't seen before. Yeah. And I suppose as you change... Yeah, I mean, I might end up as being 30 and think that this was a terribly adolescent um, romance that I had going on. Um, oh, let's hope not. No, I mean... I, I, they I, might just sort of start to speak to you in a different way. Yeah, I think... Um, well, I hope it will do. I um, It's just such a powerful thing. I was kind of... Um, known briefly at, uh, when I first came to university for getting reasonably drunk and starting reciting the second coming so uh, which you know I'm hoping didn't freak too many people out but <laughs> I just want to thank you for you know uh, bringing this friend today because it's certainly given me a I think you said earlier um, that the imagery is real and it's not just an intellectual exercise and I haven't quite in the past been able to get into relationship mm. with this poem so <laughs> but I have today so oh, it's uh-huh. been really really great was there anything else uh, no. you wanted to say no, uh, no, we I'm kept so, you too long Doc. Uh, no it's it's fine <laughs> no that's good I, I didn't really know what I was going to do so it's it's been really fun The second coming. Turning and turning in the widening gyre, the falcon cannot hear the falconer. Things fall apart. The centre cannot hold. Mere anarchy is loosed upon the world. The blood-dimmed tide is loosed, and everywhere the ceremony of innocence is drowned. The best lack all conviction, while the worst are full of passionate intensity. Surely some revelation is at hand. Surely the second coming is at hand. The second coming. Hardly are those words out when a vast image out of spiritus mundi troubles my sight. Somewhere, in sands of the desert, a shape with lion body and the head of a man, a gaze blank and pitiless as the sun is moving its slow thighs, while all about it reel shadows of the indignant desert birds. The darkness drops again, but now I know that twenty centuries of stony sleep were vexed to nightmare by a rocking cradle. And what rough beast, its hour come round at last, slouches towards Bethlehem to be born. That was Dominic talking to myself and Michael Schaefer about The Second Coming by W.B. Yeats. And it was Michael who created the gift reading at the end there. 
If you enjoyed listening to that conversation, then we'd really encourage you to press subscribe on the iTunes page or on your podcast app and to make sure that you get all the episodes as they come along. The next episode is in about a week's time and if you press subscribe, you'll find it arrives naturally with you. So yes, we'd just really enjoy having as many of you as possible following us in that way. If you'd like to find out more about the work we're doing with this idea of poem as friend, or if you'd like to connect with us, be in touch, we'd love to hear your thoughts either about the podcast or anything else. Best way to do that is to visit our website at thepoetryexchange.co.uk. Thank you very much for listening. Mm -hmm.